Earth's atmosphere is 80% nitrogen. We don't even breathe nitrogen. Blight does, and as it thrives, our air gets less and less oxygen. The last people to starve will be the first to suffocate. And your daughter's generation will be the last to survive on Earth. Murph was feeling a little tired and was wondering if she could take a nap in my office. Now you need to tell me what your plan is to save the world. We're not meant to save the world. We're meant to leave it. Rangers, the last components of our one versatile ship in orbit, the Endurance, our final expedition. You sent people out there looking for a new home? The Lazarus missions. Well, that sounds cheerful. Lazarus came back from the dead. Sure, but he had to die in the first place. There's not a planet in our solar system that could sustain life in the nearest stars over a thousand years away. I mean, that doesn't even qualify as futile. Where'd you send him? In 1952, Encyclopedia Britannica partnered up with the University of Chicago and a professor there named Mortimer Adler. And Adler had this idea. He wanted to uh, publish a set of books that would be made available for sale that could help uh, everyday people kind of uh, catch up to what Western thought had come up with in literature over 2,500 years. It was an ambitious project. The thinking was, you know, people who are businessmen or, or engineers or doctors, they don't have a lot of time to study the humanities or philosophy. So if he could just present a, a set of books, here, read this, then you might understand, you know, Western thought as it has developed over more than 2,000 years. And so that's what they ended up doing. They published uh, the great books of the Western world is what the set was called. Uh, this, these are the ones I have. They're out of print now. So anytime I go into a, an old bookstore, I try to look around and see if they've got volumes there that I don't have. Um, and they did it. They published a set of 54 books that was meant to, if you read these 54 books, you would understand the, the great thinking of all of Western civilization. And it was a massive project. Dozens of readers and publishers, thousands and thousands of hours pouring over uh, as many books as you can think of to get it down to 54. So everything from Homer and Plato and Aristotle to Shakespeare and Locke and Hume and Hegel and all these different writers. And, 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 and one of the things that happened as a result of this, I don't think it was an intended consequence, but to make it into this set of books, it had to meet certain criteria that Mortimer Adler came up with. And one of those criteria was that the books had to talk about the 102 great ideas of Western civilization is what he called them. Great ideas like truth or beauty or power or good and evil or democracy or all, think of those great ideas of our time, of any time, the books had to deal with that. So they got it down to 54, they published a second edition that added a few more for the, the 20th century. And it was, it was a great project. So because they were cataloging these things by great ideas, they began to tell which were the ones that got the most coverage in these great books. What were the ideas that people were writing about the most? the most frequent ideas that came up in 2,500 years of, of Western civilization and the ones that kept rising to the top. Now, now keep in mind, this is, of course, uh, an arbitrary list that they did. It wasn't scientific. It's not objective. This is just one project. But I found it compelling that the top ideas, the things that people were writing about the most for over 2,000 years are God, not just the Christian God, but the idea of God, divinity, God in general, humanity, 
people, who are we, what are we doing here, why are we here, and love. That those three ideas kept rising to the top of what people have been writing about for centuries. People want to know, maybe that's what you're asking questions about this, this Lenten season. Who is God? Or who are you? Or do I know that I'm loved? And what does it mean to, to have love, to belong, to have companionship or friendship? And what does that word even mean? That's what people have been writing about for 2,000 years. I chose uh, a clip from a movie called Interstellar. It came out just a few years ago. And, um, you know, I really could have chosen just about any clip from any movie out there because what you see in a movie Interstellar is, is a person who uh, is told about the condition of the world, that the world is failing, that everybody is lost, we're all doomed. And one person has to make a decision to sacrifice themselves to go on this amazing journey. In this movie, for instance, they have to go uh, beyond our solar system, beyond our galaxy to find a new home for all of civilization. And they're going to sacrifice themselves for the love that he has for his daughter, for his family, for everybody on earth. And what does that story sound like? Think of, think of a movie that you like that might have that same theme to it. Um, there's, there's a filmmaker, James Cameron, uh, Titanic, Avatar, these huge blockbuster movies. He is an avowed atheist, very public about it, but he, he says openly in interviews, my movies are about the story of Jesus because that's the story. Somebody, if you think of Titanic or Avatar, somebody sees the world in peril and sacrifices themselves because they love other people and that's how the world gets saved. That is the story. The story of Jesus Christ is, is, are those three great ideas. Who is God? Who are we and where do we fit? And what does love look like? And it's all right there in the person and life of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. So Jesus and his disciples have made their way into Jerusalem. We, we celebrated Palm Sunday last weekend and they're there now. They, they rent an upper room, we're told, in, in somebody's home where they're going to celebrate their Passover meal. The, the Seder meal is what it's called historically. And, and this meal had different component parts. And so this is what everybody in the, in the city of Jerusalem is doing right now. That's why they're in the city of Jerusalem. It is Passover season. And Passover uh, is the time, the Jewish holiday, where they're called to remember what God did for the Israelites when they were in captivity in Egypt. That the ten plagues were raging in Egypt to set the people free from captivity. The tenth plague was going to be the angel of death that would wipe out every firstborn male in that community. And the only way God would pass over your house is if you painted the doorposts with the blood of a perfect spotless lamb. So they're all celebrating Passover. And the Seder meal has different component parts. There, there's several, a number of different steps in the Seder meal. And for our First Communion students here tonight, um, we have a bunch of, of young ones who are going to celebrate their First Communion with us. Let's give them a hand, actually. Um, we're, we're glad that you're here. We're glad that you're celebrating with us. The, the, they, they, they got to participate in a Seder meal during their First Communion class, which I think is pretty neat. So the different components of the Seder meal... Uh, all have different meanings, there's different uh, words attached to them, and, and right in the middle is, is the part of the meal called the matzah, or the bread, where they break bread together, and they save some of it for another part, but each person gets a piece of bread about the size of an olive, and that's the portion of the meal that Jesus stops and says, this is my body broken for you. Now, this was something that nobody else in the city of Jerusalem was doing at the time during their Passover meal. No other rabbis and disciples were, were calling this bread the body of Jesus Christ who was broken. What Jesus is saying there is that as you take this bread that for centuries, for, for the Jewish people, this has meant God's provision for you. This is life for you. Jesus is saying, that's me. I am the bread of life. And when you eat this bread, you remember me. 
Now, the Passover was meant to remember what God did for the people of Israel. So here is Jesus with his disciples standing in God's place, saying, anytime you break this bread, remember what I am doing for you. And then after supper, it says he took the cup. And they use the word after supper for a reason, because in the, the Seder meal, there are actually four cups of wine that are presented throughout the... It's a pretty good party, right? Four cups of wine throughout the entire length of the meal. After the, the matzah and after the supper part is the third cup of wine. Now, this comes from Exodus chapter 6. And each of the four cups of wine represents something that God has promised the people of Israel that he's going to do. So in Exodus 6, it says, I am the Lord, I will free you from your oppression. So that's the first cup. They remember their freedom from oppression. And I will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. So cup number two, they are celebrating their rescue from slavery. Cup number three, after supper, I will redeem you with a powerful arm. So after supper, Jesus takes this cup and he pours it out and he says, this is the cup of the new covenant. I am your redeemer. It's my blood that's going to redeem you, that's going to pay the penalty for your sins. This is what you've been looking forward to for the entire length of, of, your, of your spiritual lives. And then Jesus says something interesting. In, Matthew chapter, in, in the Matthew version of the Last Supper, Jesus says, I tell you, I will not drink this wine again until I come back for you. Because there was still a fourth cup to have at that Passover dinner. And it says in Exodus 6, the fourth cup, I will claim you as my own people and I will be your God. Jesus promising to come back. Jesus saying there's more that's going to happen. But for now, my blood is shed for the forgiveness of your sins and for your redemption. And this, would have, this, this was a cosmic shift for these disciples in the way that they were thinking about who God was. They, they had thought of God as, as a distant, far-off entity. And here is Jesus who as a part of their discipleship, has been talking about being the Messiah and being the Son of God this whole time. Here it is, Jesus saying, I am your God made flesh, and I, because of my love for you, am I, I am going to sacrifice my life, my penalty, your penalty for sin I'm going to take on. I'm going to redeem you with my body and my blood. And he keeps reinforcing this idea. This wasn't, the mo this wasn't the only extraordinary thing that happened at that Last Supper. He was using this whole Thursday night with his disciples to teach about who he was and what it meant to follow God. And so he, he takes a towel and wraps it around himself, and he kneels down and he washes his disciples' feet. He takes the place of a slave, of a servant, doing the most disgusting job that anybody in the house had to do. Jesus does that, and it shocks Peter to Paul's him. He says, you can't wash my feet. That's not what my God is supposed to do. That's not what my Savior, my Redeemer, my Messiah, that's not what you're supposed to do. And Jesus says, unless I wash you, you can have no part with me, because what love really looks like is sacrifice. Jesus is telling us that there is no such thing called love that doesn't involve cost, sacrifice. And that's what love really is. Hebrews 9.22 says that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. Matthew chapter 15, just after this supper, Jesus tells the disciples, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. For you in your life, as Jesus calls us to this new commandment, this new mandate to love other people as Jesus loved other people, what he's saying is that your love for other people should cost you something. You should be able to sacrifice out of love for others. That is what it means to love with the love of Jesus Christ. And what does that look like for you? For, for, for some people, it does look like physical sacrifice. 
There are, there are thousands of people throughout the history of the Christian movement who have laid down their lives because of their faith in Jesus Christ. It cost them their entire physical lives because they were worshiping God. I got to spend a summer in Turkey when I was in college, and I was blessed to meet uh, dozens of Christians who were raised Turkish Muslims who had converted to Christianity, and because of that, because of the laws of their country, they no longer have a home, they no longer have a family, they no longer have a job, they lost their citizenship, and they're happy for it because they'd found something better. They had found the ultimate eternal love in Jesus Christ, and they were willing to give up everything for it. Now, that's some people, but not everybody. More often, I think that what we're called to sacrifice for loving other people is more like our reputation. What will people think of me if I love that certain person or that certain type of people? What will people think of me if I extend myself in relationship to people? The world looks around and says, that's not the type of person you should hang out with. That's not the type of person who deserves love. It might cost you friends or family or or, fans. What, what are you willing to sacrifice to love the way that Jesus loved? And who is that in your circle? Who is God calling you to love sacrificially so that it costs you something? So in the movie Interstellar, they, they go on this mission. Uh, they, they explore far-off planets, and they're, they're scraping and, and striving to survive, and, and hope continues to dwindle and dwindle until there's only two of them left. And they get to the point where there's only one chance for them to find a new home, only one chance to find salvation. And again, this retelling of the world's most written about story is played out. Let's take a look. Lander one, prepare to detach. On my mark. Three, two, one. Mark. Detach. Goodbye, Tars. Goodbye, Dr. Brent. See you on the other side, Coop. See you there, Slick! Okay, Case. Nice reckless flying. Learn from the master. Ranger 2, prepare to detach. What? No! No! Cooper! Three. Cooper, what are you doing? Loon's third law. They gotta leave something behind. You told me we had enough resources for both of us. We agree to it. Ninety percent. Detach. So. How do you do that? Where does that strength of character or that courage come from to be willing to sacrifice everything because you love somebody, because you love somebody else? How was Jesus able to, knowing everything that was about to happen to him in the next 24 hours, knowing the the torture that he would endure, knowing the death that he would die, knowing the unimaginable pain that he would experience out of love, How do you actually continue to move forward in that? Not run away, not back down. How do you in your life continue to move forward in love, even though it's costing you something, how do you keep going? And again, we can take our cues right from what Jesus did after the Last Supper. He and his disciples go to the Mount of Olives, to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he prays, and he prays, and he prays. Through the night, 
Jesus Christ on his knees praying, telling his disciples even, the spirit is willing. Our spirits are willing. We, we even say out loud, I'm willing to die for my faith. I'm willing to die for fill in the blank because I love whatever it is that you might love. But the flesh is weak. Your body knows what kind of pain that is, what kind of pain it is to sacrifice for love to cost you something. And he keeps praying. He prays so fervently, it says in the, in the Gospel of Luke, that his sweat turns to drops of blood on the ground. That is the type of prayer of somebody who is willing to lay down everything because he loves you. The God who loves you, who wants you to be in a relationship with him forever, who wants you to be redeemed, who wants you to be saved, forgiven, wants to show you love, is the God who is willing to go to the cross and die for you. And it still took every ounce of prayer that he had in him, calling on the Holy Spirit to give him the strength it would take to see it all the way through. So we actually want to give you some time for that tonight. It's one thing to talk about prayer. It's another thing to have the chance to do it. Oftentimes in our life, we don't actually get a chance to just sit and pray for a while. So tonight, we've actually uh, set up some different prayer stations around the worship center. We're going to take communion before we do any of that. But uh, over to your right in the back corner, there are different prayer stations. There's a feet washing station, and that's where I'll be uh, washing feet. Uh, our, one of our prayer leaders, Amber, will be there with me doing that too. Uh, there's a mosaic back there where you can actually uh, take a piece of tile and add it to the cross. As a church, we're called to uh, each play a part in the, in, in the life of the church. And for each of us, we're unique. We have differently shaped edges, and uh, we're, we're rough, we're soft, whatever it is. But I want to, to see that cross totally filled up with different pieces of tile. Uh, there's a family tree back there where you can write the name of somebody uh, in your family or your friends who uh, needs prayer, maybe somebody who's difficult to love, and hang it on the tree to pray for them. Uh, up here on the stage, these two-by-four framed walls are part of our Hope Lives Here Lenten campaign where we've been raising money for Habitat for Humanity for a neighborhood in the north side of Des Moines. These walls will actually become part of those houses in the fall, and we've been filling them up with prayers. So the prayers that you write on those walls will one day live in somebody's house. There's a candle lighting station up here on stage. Uh, we'll have our different prayer partners right here at the cross where they stand on the weekends. And if, somebody, if you want to pray with somebody, they're there to pray with you. Uh, up here on my right, we've got this door that's inside of our built cross. We use this door during our giving campaign. We, we all put our pledges uh, for the building addition through that mail slot. Tonight, um, you can actually, there's materials up here. You can write a letter to God and, and put it right through the mail slot, put it in an envelope. Nobody's going to read it. I actually, I do this pretty frequently. When I pray, I journal. Just, it helps me focus. So I've got a journal, and I kind of start those, Dear Jesus, and then I just start praying. If you've never done that or you want to try it, uh, give it a shot right here. My encouragement for all of these different prayer stations, try one of them, try all of them. Um, even if you don't feel like going to a station, we'll have different scriptures and prompts on the screen for things that you can pray for. Music will be playing. The, the purpose for all of this is for you to feel uh, equipped to, to love the way that Jesus is calling you to love. That's what I think Jesus was doing when he was washing his disciples' feet. You know, they're, they're, they're covered in filth and dirt, and Jesus wipes them clean so that they can go right back out and, and, and get them dirty again. You know, getting, getting covered in the dust of the world as they tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ. All of these prayer stations are for that, for you to feel equipped to love the way that Jesus is calling you to love. But first, we need to take communion together and remember the things that Jesus calls us to remember about his great love, that on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread at supper and broke it, and he said, this is my body broken for you. 
Whenever you eat this, remember me when you eat it. And after supper, he took the cup in the same way and poured it out. And he said, this is the cup of the new covenant shed for the forgiveness of sins. And as often as you drink this cup, do this in remembrance of me. Let's stand together and pray the prayer Jesus taught. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.